You're listening to Working Together for Working Families, sponsored by the Pascal Sykes Foundation. Hello, my name is Jackie Edwards. Welcome to the Working Together for Working Families podcast, where we come together to highlight individuals and organizations working to help whole families reach their goals. According to the American Psychological Association, money continues to be a significant source of stress in the lives of American adults. This can negatively affect their children's sense of well-being. One of the primary goals expressed by families is the need for professional guidance on how they can better manage their finances, which they know can lead to increased economic opportunities, homeownership, increased savings, and reduced stress. Thank you, Jackie, for that introduction. I'm Rochelle Tadiamoa, and in today's episode, we are excited to welcome Wanda Hardy, President and CEO of the Financial Wellness Institute, and Rakina Cabasis, Director of Strategic Partnerships and Justice Initiatives at Family Strengthening Network. You can learn more about their backgrounds and the organizations they represent by clicking on the link in the summary. Welcome to you both. Let's start with you, Wanda. Briefly, can you tell us the mission of the Financial Wellness Institute and what financial wellness means for the families that you work with? Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Michelle, Jackie, and to the Pasco Sykes Foundation. Thank you so much for this opportunity. The mission of the Financial Wellness Institute is to strengthen individuals and families and move communities towards economic stability. To that mission, We work with families to help them identify where they are in the financial life cycle, and we help them develop goals, what they want to achieve in life. We do this around four pillars of service, including financial education and economic empowerment, affordable housing, career services, entrepreneurship, and small business development. We've been doing this work for over 18 years. We've had a lot of success and fun along the way. We've enjoyed the families that we're working with. And the joy of it all is to see that family achieve their goal, graduate from our program, and go on to economic self-sufficiency. That's great. Thank you, Wanda. So, Rakina, let's uh, go over to you. Family Strengthening Network is a collaboration of organizations offering support and services to families around a variety of issues from relationship strengthening to academic achievement. Can you briefly tell us about Family Strengthening Network and what approach you and your team take to help families with their financial goals? Yes, thank you, Rochelle. So the Family Strengthening Network is a Pascal Sykes whole family approach grantee, and we work one-on-one with families on action planning. And this is achieved by hiring informal case managers known as family advocates. These are people living, working, and playing in the community with lived experience of the resources that are in that area. So we hire them, we train them, we supervise them to walk alongside families and do a lot of the handholding in four main areas of general family health, which is healthy relationships, education, financial literacy, and job development. In recent years, we've focused on survivors of domestic violence and families involved in family court. We believe that the same model, the whole family approach, engaging every member of the family, having two invested adult caregivers in the action planning process and helping them self-identify their goals and then give them resources in the community to achieve those goals. 
we believe at the Family Strengthening Network that is the best way for people to achieve self-sufficiency for the long term. Thanks, Rakina. So we all know that the past two years have been challenging for families trying to navigate many financial struggles through a global pandemic. This question is for both of you. Describe some of the issues you have noticed that families have struggled with financially during this time. Wanda, I want to start with you. Thank you, Jackie, again. Um, during this time, and I'll say since 2020, these are unprecedented times, as we are all well aware of. And one of the things we started to notice that families were receiving money in excess of what they're accustomed to in the way of the tax credit, the stimulus payments, et cetera. We created a campaign, a newsletter that said, ready, set, reset, giving family tips on how to manage this money that was coming in. We offered them free consultations. And when we performed the free consultations for those that reached out to us, we completed a financial analysis, understanding where they are, a budget template, the money coming in and what money needed to go out. We also took a look at their credit file to see where they are because we wanted to make sure they were monitoring this money and using it correctly. Because at the same time with the stimulus money, we also had tax season. And at that point in time, there was really a large amount of money coming into some households, especially the low to moderate income families. Once we completed that financial analysis, we worked with the family to create a plan of action, how to best use that money, living for today, imagining for today, and also planning for the future. One of the challenges that we identified when we were doing the family assessments was that similar to home ownership, where families will say, well, someone said I qualified for something. We had to educate them because people confuse two words, qualifying with affordability. Just because someone qualifies you for something doesn't mean you can afford it. So I'm going to flip that onto the rental side and what was happening in our economy, whereby we had these moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. And somehow we found that families were assuming that meant you didn't have to pay your rent or mortgage. And we had to educate them. It was like, no, the moratorium saying you can't evict someone or start the foreclosure process, but that doesn't mean you're not supposed to pay your rent. You're supposed to pay your rent and your mortgage because when the moratorium is lifted, they will be able to move forward with eviction and foreclosure. So we noticed that was a problem. So we truly tried to help identify that. The other thing we noticed was for those that did receive some of this assistance to say, how do you manage this money? Plan for today and plan for your future. And we had some success using that approach. That's not to say that we didn't have some things that went astray and that some people pulled in all the excess money and it was on a spending spree where they were spending so much money, more than they were accustomed to spending. And we just had to truly keep them and monitor their progress. And we did that on a monthly basis. Wanda, I just want to just follow up with a question with you. As you said that, you know, families receiving the excess of money, when we were getting all the, hearing about all these funds that were coming through, do you, families reach out to you and say, you look, I'm really worried. I'm getting all these funds and I really kind of want to plan for this and, and like be proactive about it instead of reactive. We had a few, very few that were proactive. 
some were being reactive in that they were digging the hole for themselves with the excess money and they weren't paying their bills. So for those, we had to educate them and just help them switch their behavior because we were just saying to them, at the end of the day, if you're saying you want to be here, the money's coming in and it's going in a different direction, you're creating a problem for yourself. I'd like to add to that, Jackie, when people did reach out to us, it was the stress impact. And when I say the stress impact, your finances, physical, mental, community, social well-being, they're all interrelated. So if one's out of sort, it's going to impact you in all those other areas in your lives. So we continue to make sure we talk to that point, offer workshops every single month on budgeting and crediting just to keep them on track of what they needed to do with their resources. Thank you, Wanda. It sounds like you'll have a lot of services that you can offer families. Rakina, I want to go over to you as a practitioner working with families, actually literally on the front line with them. Can you talk about some of the challenges some of your families you serve may have uh, faced during this pan global pandemic? Yeah, and a lot of it echoes what Wanda was talking about. It really is a case-by-case -case basis, and I think that's the importance of in individualized whole family approach, family advocacy, because there's no one size fits all. And I think that became more and more evident as uh, the restrictions and the pandemic went on for longer than everyone expected. I think people depleted their savings fairly quickly and so saw how important it is to have a savings account and not just have, you know, a savings account for a rainy day, but to have three to six months of an emergency fund uh, in a liquid savings account, the importance of having a financial plan and sitting down with someone like Wanda or one of the family advocates through the Family Strengthening Network to review your budget, reevaluate your priorities, make adjustments based on what's going on. And, um, you know, in these unprecedented times, it was, we had families that, you know, used to check in once or twice a month, and now they were uh, desiring to meet with their advocate virtually, you know, uh, on, on a bi-weekly basis, just because of the relief money that was coming in, the stimulus, like Wanda was saying, you know, do we qualify? How do we know if we qualify? And so just having a support person there, someone to hold them accountable for what they were going to be doing with that stimulus money and to make sure that it lined up with the goals that those families had set for themselves. You know, some families might have wanted to create a savings account for the first time. We had a lot of families that had a strong desire to finally get rid of that debt. And so, you know, to create an individualized plan that lines up with their goals, I think it was a wonderful opportunity to do that and build the rapport with families in the community during this time. Pre prior to this, I think a lot of people were ashamed if they had debt or they didn't have a savings account, but I think the COVID-19 pandemic brought to the forefront that you know, even hardworking families, um, you know, struggle sometimes and obviously more so during an emergency. And that's why financial planning is so, so important. Jackie, if I may add to that, uh, Rakina touched on something that was so important in that what we experienced, um, a lot of people thought it was a low income problem. It was across the board. 
Just because you have money doesn't know that you necessarily know how to manage the money. So we saw it in various areas and in some areas that were truly unexpected because, you know, the rule of thumb was always to have three months of money set aside for emergency planning. That number is now six months in advance. And we found a lot of families did not have that financial reserve to support them through this difficult time. So it was a challenge for many families across the board. Okay. Thank you. One highlight um, in reference to that is just that families that have been engaged with the Family Strengthening Network for more than three years have actually increased their savings during the pandemic. I just thought that was an interesting statistic um, in a time when everyone is you know, trying to scramble to make ends meet, families that have been engaged and, and intentional around their finances actually are faring better now. Thank you, Rakina. Thank you, Rakina. That's really good to hear. I just, this is a sort of a different question, but we know that with financial wellness, people also have to have income. They have to have jobs. And so I was just wondering if you both could maybe touch upon how you might how you were able to provide access to families that needed a job because so many people lost their jobs over this time. And while they were getting this increased stimulus money, they also really lost their jobs, which could be a, another source of stress for people. So I was just wondering if either one of you had any, anything that you could say related to how you helped people find jobs or keep their jobs or whether you needed to uh, give people advice on that kind of, you know, how they could stay in their jobs or keep a job. Well, Rochelle, you are correct in that so many families um, lost their employment during COVID. One of the things that we were able to do, because through our pillar of service of career development and career services, we had, and I'll just use something that the program we were working with, USDA, we had 10 families approved for home ownership back in July of August of 2020. Only one made it through, and the reason was because the rest lost their jobs, um, which was so hard for them. What we did was we used our network to try and find opportunities for them. We offered the counseling and coaching to support their own um, search for employment. We reviewed resumes to try and tweak those resumes. But most importantly, we tried to give them encouragement to hold fast, that things would eventually turn around. And I am pleased to say that some of them did find new employment. A couple of them are still looking for jobs, but I remain optimistic, as do they, that they will find a job. Because as you can see, uh, now that we're in 2021, employers are looking for employees and they are actively out there looking for employment. And I will also share with you some of those that were let go have been called back now that things are turning around. And with those families, we're working with them to develop a new plan to say, okay, this is where you were before COVID. This is where you are today. How do we work with you to increase your wages at your current employer? And we did a lot of similar work. Uh, you know, part of the model is life coaching coming alongside people in all areas of, of their life. And so job development is one of those areas. We took this time to also assist families with creating a resume, updating cover letters, 
Um, for a little bit of the older generation, it was a great time for them to take virtual classes on, you know, to improve their computer skills and learn more about technology to make them more marketable. I think one of the interesting things around job development is that we actually had six families go into business for themselves during the pandemic. And I think what happened was either between layoffs or just childcare issues and needing to leave jobs because of you know various uh, fallout from the pandemic and the restrictions, we had a lot of families that we work with show a strong desire to do a major job overhaul. And it made them reevaluate, you know, what are their priorities? Okay, I haven't commuted now. I haven't had to travel. Maybe I don't want to go back to that job that takes me away from my family six months out of the year. Maybe the pay was great, but maybe I want to change fields. Maybe I want to start a business. How do I go about doing that? And our advocates were there and ready, you know, to assist them with SBA guidance and obtaining capital to start their businesses, setting up Etsy shops, you know, working on social media marketing, um, just through other local resources and providers, but to help families really dream during an otherwise scary time and to take advantage of, you know, being home and, and what resources were available during that time to make those major life changes that otherwise maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. And to what Ms. Keena just spoke to, it is so true in that uh, we also had a couple people start businesses and through our coaching sessions, we always share with our families, each and every one of us have a gift and we say a gift that only you can do. Someone may try to replicate what you can do, but truly each and every one of us have a gift of something that's innate within us that we can do and do very well. And when you started pulling that out of some of the families, it was true that they wanted to start a business. And we were pleased to help them work through that and help them incorporate the businesses and also find uh, capital. Again, to Rakina, education is key for some. That may be their ticket out. To see them want to identify that new change in course in life to get them to where they want to be, we were very supportive of that as well. Again, just coming back to say that we individually can make the changes, but we have to want to make that change ourselves first and foremost. It can't come from the outside. It has to come from the inside. And once you make that decision, as they say, the world's your oyster, we can get to where we want to be if we create that plan. So working with the families to help them develop that plan is critical. So thank you for reminding me of that, Rakina. That's great. Um, so Wanda said something that was really um, key here. Uh, education is the key in making changes is really important, important. So the statistics mentioned earlier shine a light on how finances affects youth and children. What do you think are some of the best ways we should be talking to, talking about finances, uh, financial wellness with youth in our society? And either one of you can take a shot at that. Well, I'll start by saying that we have been working with youth I'm gonna, for over 15 years as far as financial education. We know that in the state of New Jersey, it is required that upon graduation, you should have had X amount of credits in financial education. Some of the schools are offering it, some of them are not. We go out into the community and work with the schools to come in and deliver those financial education courses through higher education, through some partnerships that we have. We work with young adults. We're currently working with a program called the Work Group in Camden slash Pensauken. 
and they are at-risk youth who are the ages between 16 and 21 years of age, may have dropped out of school, high school. Our goal is to work with them and help them develop the financial life skills that they will need for the rest of their lives. Also incorporated in that program is the prep course for those young adults to go on and receive their GED. They have community service, so they understand the philanthropic side of it's not just about making money, but what you're doing with the money. They also receive some on-the-job training experience as well. So we've incorporated financial education in that entire program. It's a 17-week 17 17 program. And what we are hopeful for that upon graduation, they will have a credit score, they will have a savings account, and they will land a job where they will go on to be productive members of society. Yeah, that's exciting, Wanda. Uh, the work group is is awesome. <laughs> we yes, work they are. Youth as well, and so I think they uh, they align really well with the kind of work that we do. So at the Family Strengthening Network, we we utilize the whole family approach as a Pascal Sykes grantee. We also are a two generation approach organization. The two gen approach builds family well being by intentionally and simultaneously working with children and the adults in their lives together. And what that means is that old adage, more is caught than taught. I grew up in a family that debt was normal. We lived way far beyond our means. Uh, there was no hope for me getting any assistance with going to college or getting a car. I had to take six buses every day. And you know, when my stepfather passed away unexpectedly at the age of 49, he also died $500,000 in debt and it destroyed all his hard work. We lost our family home, my mom didn't have a car, my brother had to move. So the impact on multiple generations by adults, you know, not having a financial plan, not understanding life insurance, not understanding how to do a budget and planning for those crises, it affects the next generation. And I think there needs to be you know, a focus on that because otherwise the gains that we make in this generation can be so easily lost. So at the Family Strengthening Network, you know, the same coaching, financial coaching, financial literacy that we offer to the adults is also offered to every member in the family, including the youth and the family. It's really neat to see families communicating in a healthy manner around finances, having the word budget not be an ugly word in your home. And we believe that by opening the doors of communication around priorities and financial goal setting, you're improving their financial well-being, but more importantly, you're improving the well-being of that family as a whole. Rakina, I, I think that is just so important um, because as a youth, you're thinking about things that you think about. You're not thinking about, what well, am I planning for the future? And so you are seeing it from where you are. Um, so financial planning is really important and to be able to you know, address it at that early age. So I think that's great. And Jackie, if I may just add to that, because you're absolutely right, it's, it, it's amazing. We try to teach whether you are a, a young adult or an adult, there are basic three principles to money management, strictly three principles. And it's called 10-10-80, it's the rule of thumb for money. 10, 10, 80. If you get that right, it will take you through the rest of your life. And what does it mean? When money comes in, 
10% must go towards savings because we all like that feeling. We know we've got that nest egg and we've got that money sitting there. You've got to save some money. And they say, pay yourself first. That is critical. You earn the money, pay yourself first. It means put some money in a savings account. The other 10%, give the charity because you can't walk around with your hands open to receive and close when it's time to give because you're also cutting off your blessings, so to speak. If you don't have the 10%, Pick a number, but do it. Pick a number for savings. Pick a number for charity. 80% is what you live off of. If you follow that rule of thumb, you're good. Because if you go 80-10-10, you're never going to make it to the 10-10 because you'll be too busy spending all of your money. So <laughs> we teach them and we always give them the question of how do you feel when you have that savings nest? And everybody goes, I really feel great. Well, then continue to do what you need to do so that you can have that great feeling knowing that you have an emergency fund if something should happen. You know that you help somebody else along the way and then just live off of the balance of the money. It's a great rule of thumb. I didn't create it. It's been around forever and ever a day. We just tend to forget about it. Thank you both to you and Rakina for sharing that valuable information. Thank you. I mean, it's it, you both are really working. I think you know, to really intersect this generation, some of these generational issues that have been plaguing us in our society for, for so many years. So um, I thank you both for doing that. Rakina, you did share, well, you thank you for sharing a, a personal story. You know, it is the best way for our listeners and for everyone to understand these full impacts is to hear uh, stories like that, personal stories. And so I was just wondering, confidentially, of course, if you uh, both or, or either one of you could share a success story about one of the families that you've worked with, of course, you know, not using their real information, but just maybe a, a story about one of the families that, real, that you were able to work with um, and help um, over the years of your work. Yeah, so I shared my personal story because I think it's important that you know, we, we share to the next generation the behaviors that we have learned through the process and the outcomes that we've improved upon. We want to pass that on to the next generation. So one family that I've been working with for years, when I started working with them, they were making $13,000 a year. They had two small children. Dad was kind of in between jobs and they were facing eviction in their rental. Well, we've been working together for almost eight years now, and I'm proud to say that they have increased their income to $85,000 a year. Mom went back to real estate school. Dad also has his real estate license. They are now working together in their small business that they started. And more importantly, they purchased a home last October in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do for the community in the future. And that's just one small example that by strengthening the resolve of families, they themselves become the building blocks for a stronger community tomorrow. That's great. a great story, Rakina. Um, thank you. Um, and it is. And it's, and you know, it's funny, as you say, as I, I'm, I'm smiling as I think about it. It's not only just rewarding for them. I know for the Financial Wellness Institute is rewarding to us as an organization because it means we are doing what we say we're supposed to be doing. And I'll just share a brief story as well in that we work with a lot of families that will come through the housing authority as well. And we it caused us to launch a program this year called Family Self-Sufficiency. And again, 
their role can be they want to go on the post-secondary education, buy a house, start a business, set up a retirement plan, whatever it is, but they identify their individual goal, as I said, and then we work with them to help them achieve that goal. Well, this one particular client, when she came to the Financial Wellness Institute, it was kind of, and I, I laugh about it because I said to myself, it's like I might as well adopt you or something because you've been working with you for years. And she'll always say, there's Miss Wanda. Um, it was through some work through the housing authority and then one client through the um, Cathedral Kitchen in Camden. But working with both of them, their story was kind of the same in that they knew what they wanted in life, but they just needed that push to get there and to help them pull it together. And as they started learning to see their credit scores go up by 50 points, to see a $0 account end up being $5,000 in a savings account, uh, both families uh, learned about uh, FAFSA and how to go about and complete their FAFSA application. Their kids went on to uh, post-secondary education. One became a homeowner and she worked diligently and she said, after I purchased my home, does that mean I'm, I can't talk to you anymore? I was like, no, you can continue to stay in touch with us. And the other client, I can't, I've been working with this client, I'm not kidding, for a good five years now. She reached out to me just the other day and she said, I lost your phone number because I have a new cell phone. Could you please send me your phone number just so I can stay in touch with you? And last week we had the opportunity to connect again. And they hear that her daughter was accepted um, at Rowan University. It was amazing to hear. But both families, different counties, but on that same path of building assets, creating wealth for themselves. And the last point I'll close out with, with regards to both families, was that they did not understand the importance of a retirement plan because when you're living paycheck to paycheck you kind of forget about it and through their benefit analysis we both we realized they were eligible for matching funds and I said to them if your employer's saying they have six percent they're going to match your salary with if you don't put the money in the account they don't have to match you I said you might as well have said to your employer we don't want the 6%. And I'm pleased to say that both families did enjoy their uh, join their retirement plans and are saving continually today. So thank you for that reminder as well again, Rakina. Well, thank you both. I mean, I think the stories that you have shared are great. And even though, you know, despite these trying times and challenging times that we are going through over the past almost two years, uh, it's really, you know, it's good to see that that organizations like both of yours are really working towards helping families, not only the adults and the families, but also the youth and the children. And, uh, and it's really good to know that programs like yours are out there for families that may need assistance with their financial planning. So I just wanted to uh, thank you both. I wanted to thank you, Wanda Hardy. And I also wanted to thank you, Rakina Cabezas, for joining us today. And I wanna thank our listeners also for tuning in. And you can find full bios for Wanda Hardy and also for Rakina Cabezas in the links that will be included in the summary uh, below. So be sure to, to uh, click on those links and check out their organizations and also to learn more about both of them. Be sure to join us next time on Working Together for Working Families when our guests will be Marjorie Sims, the Managing Director of Ascend at the Aspen Institute in Washington, D.C., and Leslie Perkle, President and CEO of the William J. and Dorothy K. O'Neill Foundation, headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. We will be discussing funding what works 
how donors can invest in whole family programs. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Working Together for Working Families, sponsored by the Pascal Sykes Foundation, is published monthly. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the whole family approach, visit our website, wholefamilyapproach.org.